0: Mara is basically um, a framework for uh, well, not a framework. It's a, it's, a, um, it's a bit of code. It's a, it's a few libraries for, for building a data warehouse. The main part is uh, an ETL framework, so something where you can express dependencies between tasks, very much like what you can do in make files or in an Airflow.
1: Project A podcast. Welcome to a new episode of the Project A podcast. I'm Alexandra. I'm working in the data team as business intelligence manager. And we are trying here at Project A to make our portfolio companies more data driven. And today I'm here with my colleague Martin, the chief data officer here at Project A, who's leading the data engineering and data science team. So today, our topic is keeping calm in the ever-changing field of data technology, means we're going to talk about what kind of technology startups should use or probably should not use for building data analytics infrastructures. So welcome, Martin.
0: Hello, Alexandra.
1: Hello, Martin, and it's really nice to have you here. Um, It's true you're already working seven years for Project A, so can you maybe explain a bit like what your team is doing?
0: Yes. So the, obviously uh, what my team is doing changed over the years, but I think there has always been a common theme of that. We try to build software that processes data and um, by this usually supports the BI team in doing analytics, uh, but also building stuff like pricing engines or recommendation systems or predictions. Um, But the the most common thing we do is building data warehouses, that means databases where all the data of a company is in a single uh, place, where it can be analyzed and where it can be used for other applications. And so this is what we did, I would say, in in the past seven years. So we built more than 25 data warehouses with our portfolio companies and did lots of other smaller projects around these data warehouses.
1: Well, that sounds really a lot. I wonder, um, so you said the idea is to consolidate all the data in one central place. So what are the challenges that you're meeting when you're doing that?
0: Well, the challenges are sometimes uh, of of data volumes and amounts. So if you really have lots of data, then performance of doing uh, transformations becomes becomes a challenge. But usually the biggest challenges are unexpected. It's usually Around consistency, so to to make sure that if you have one metric that is called revenue, and you one time have it on the level of customers and another time on the level of uh, transactions, that is that no matter where you look into the system, that this metric revenue is always computed in the same way and always shows the same values, uh, no matter how you look at it. And well, and another challenge is is changing things so that. If you have a data warehouse and it does something and computes something, and you want to change a metric or you want to add a new dimension or add a new topic, and to do that without breaking the rest, that's quite a challenge. So to, to be able to to adapt the data warehouse to uh, changing business requirements and business needs without breaking things. So that, that's really hard. And well, and, uh, the solution that we typically uh, try to apply there is, is to use standard software engineering best practices, but we will come to that.
1: Okay, so imagine that you have now a new portfolio company, a new startup, and they're asking you what kind of data infrastructures should we use? What well, would you recommend?
0: Yes, so this happens quite often that I'm getting I getting asked, yeah what kind of technology should we use for making our portfolio our company more data driven? And that's I think usually the wrong question. So many people confuse uh, like becoming data driven with make with buying a product or with, with deciding on a piece of technology. And we typically advise against that. So we when we when we talk to these people, we then first ask like who is currently in your company uh, looking at data, who is uh, who will be looking at data in the future, who will be there from maybe from a more technical perspective, who is able to maintain, uh, uh, well, data integration pipelines and so on. And uh, and then, we, then once we know that, then we are able to do recommendations, right? So we, we also had portfolio companies that were dominantly um, on Microsoft stacks and uh, where we said it doesn't at all make sense to recommend them the stuff that we use uh, in a normal kind of startup Berlin uh, uh, environment. So, so basically, we, we we rarely give technology recommendations that are general, but they have to fit to the uh, well to the company culture and to their plans and what what kind of people they want to recruit in the future and so on.
1: So that means you are basically um, tool agnostic when you are supporting and.
0: No, we are not. On the <laughs> other hand, we have really strong opinions, uh, what works and what does not work. But, um, well, these are the opinions of me being in a very specific environment, uh, in this kind of a startup environment.
1: Okay. Yeah. So actually, I mean, I'm also working in the BI field and then talking to like the first um like talking a bit about um, the stakeholders, about their first processes. And I see a lot of times that people have data in Excel sheets. That's actually the first thing, what they have. And um, they're doing a lot of manual stuff. And what do you think, like, when is a good time when people should switch from their manual Excel sheets and putting some reports maybe in Data Studio to something like a proper infrastructure for data warehouse?
0: Yes, so actually, we do recommend all founders uh, if they're just starting or if, if they just have the first customers or the first traction to, to do everything by hand, to do it in Excel or to do it in Python and to basically, rather than thinking about BI infrastructure, to hire an analyst uh, who, who with Excel or Python or SQL digs into the data sources and tries to generate insights from those. And that's usually much more efficient and faster than, well, building a kind of heavy data warehouse thing. Um, Although at some point uh, it then makes sense to invest in a BI infrastructure. And that's usually two points. One is when uh, the data amounts become unmanageable. So when the Excel sheets get too many rows, if it takes long to extract data from external sources and so on. And the other one is when the complexity of the data itself becomes big. So if you start integrating uh, in your Excel sheet data from, from 20 different sources, then uh, I would think start thinking about doing a proper modeling of the business objects that involved in a company rather than doing some uh, ad hoc VLOOKUPs uh, um, across uh, some sheets. And well, the, the point in time when to start, that's very hard because also, um, uh when you wait too long, then when when, when you're already, it's a huge pain to get insights into your business projects, uh, in, in your business processes, then it's maybe already too late. Uh, but you also don't want to start building data infrastructure uh, when you had your first customers.
1: Okay, so from your point of view, who should be involved in finding about like the right KPIs and how to... F- Tell you uh, like define what revenue
0: is. Well, that's an exercise that the uh, whole company has to do. And, and as you said, so defining revenue—that's um, kind of prerequisite for building a data warehouse. That you kind of know what kind, what business questions you want to answer, and which um, business processes you want to optimize with data. Um, typically, in this process, we well we see the responsibility. Uh, of of of, of uh, coming up with these definitions in an analyst role rather than in a, than a data engineer, um, but uh, this is a person who would go around in a complete company and ask these people how they name things, how they how how specific, what's the exact meanings of number of customers, of of number of orders, and so on. Um, yeah, so I would say that's that's uh, the responsibility of an analyst.
1: Yeah, so. Now we know whose responsibility this is. Um, But yeah, you said, okay, when you now have this time when you think, okay, my Excel sheet has too many rows, I have to start in building a proper infrastructure. What do you recommend for the start?
0: Well, um, our recommendation is to keep things as simple as possible. Um, And people are often surprised when they say just run SQL scripts um, in, a, in a database, uh, and run them one after the other. Um, so, right, so just uh, some, 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 maybe some Python scripts that extract the data from some APIs, and then one after the other, run some, some uh, SQL queries in a database that bring the data in a shape so that it can be analyzed uh, efficiently uh, in, in dashboards. And so this is what we would recommend as a, as a start. Right? So to to and and running SQL scripts is basically um, in contrast to using click ETL tools, where you uh, basically would have some kind of interface where you specify the transformations that you do on this data uh, by 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 connecting some some dots uh, on a uh, on on some screen. Uh, so we recommend not doing that with because it has lots of problems with transparency. A changeability and, a debug, well, and the, the ability to find bugs. So scripts in a database is the thing that we recommend.
1: And what kind of database should be the first database I
0: so, should invest in? Um, so, well, we think that for most of the companies out there, Postgres is the perfect uh, database. So PostgreSQL is the perfect database for building data warehouses. Um, so it's we recommend it for Everything that is um, uh, well below terabytes or like in the range of a few terabytes, if it's beyond, then it's too small. But if the data fits on a single machine, then Postgres it is. It has um, of with uh, all the well, it's open source, so that's really nice. So you can uh, run it on developer machines. You can have uh, as many staging environments as you want. Um, it's also uh, also compared to the commercial ones it's a really good database in, in the kind of transformations you can do in the kinds of in the expressivity of the sql that it supports so um, so i think it's a perfect tool for transforming data uh, on single machines
1: okay but i mean we all know like big data was a big thing and I mean, Postgres probably doesn't sound so sexy for people investing in a new database. So what's your opinion on big data?
0: Well, big data was a, was a term that uh, I was tortured with a lot. I would say f- like maybe from five years ago to two years ago. At that time, everybody was asking me, uh, Martin, are we big data ready? And I was uh, saying, yeah, hmm, I think we are. Um, the fact is, we still don't run a single Hadoop cluster in any of our portfolio companies, because I think that the complexity of uh, well uh, maintaining and running such a cluster uh, are super high. Right? So, if we would have a Hadoop cluster, we would have at least would ha- need to have at least one or two people who maintain that infrastructure, and that's usually not uh, uh, kind of doable for for small startups. Uh, and so, so we never had a Hadoop cluster. We do, we do though have uh, maybe data amounts that can be qualified as big data. Uh, and if we do, then we put them in Google BigQuery or in, in Redshift, so databases that are able to, uh, to kind of scale out queries and data amounts to, to multiple machines. But we never try to, to do that on our own to, have to, to host our own big data infrastructure. Luckily, nowadays, nobody talks about big data anymore, so we kind of survived the big data hype.
1: Yay. (laughs) So I was wondering, I mean, okay, we survived the big data hype, but there are different hypes going on now. And actually, that's also the topic of our podcast today, because I wonder if that's also not probably such a thing as a FOMO thing, like fear of missing out, because there are these buzzwords and cool technologies, and maybe also investors will be interested in that. And also, it's something for recruiting, that people want to work with these technologies rather than with Postgres. And I think maybe it would be a cool idea to just throw some buzzwords at you, Martin, and have your point of view on that. So... I will just uh, name some of these topics and you tell us yay or nay or do or don't or something like that. Okay. So, um, what about AI?
0: Oh, AI. Yeah. So I would say AI is the new big data. So it's the thing that if you don't do it, your company will go bankrupt. Uh, and uh, so there's lots of hype and expectations uh, around it. Um, I would say the, it, it depends on what you understand in the, in the terms AI. Uh, usually people now use it for a kind of advanced statistics, and okay, if, of course, certainly there is a need to do advanced statistics uh, also in a startup context. That's typically around, well, uh, better about better regressions. So to better understand what are the value drivers for, uh, for, for customers, right, so what makes good customers. What is a good product? What is a good marketing campaign? And so on. So, so there, of course, we use AI, if you want to call it like that. Well, I would rather call it uh, advanced statistics to to analyze um, and maybe also predict um, uh, well, behavior of customers or products and so on. Uh, but many people also think AI is uh, well, self-driving cars or a deep learning or deep neural networks and so on. And, at least in the startups that we see, uh, so we actually in, in, in seven years of Project A, we have only one time seen an actual use case for uh, deep learning on images. And that was a use case where it was about uh, sim- image similarity to, to so to find um, similar products based on an image, right? But normally uh, the, the startups that we have, which are digital companies, usually in the B2B or B2C segment, don't really have use cases for, for for deep learning on images, so there is um, a huge gap. We see this also with candidates that want to join us, who want to do machine learning and and the cool stuff that they learn in these Coursera courses, but in in, in the kind of harsh startup reality, there is little use cases uh, for 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 that.
1: And I could imagine also data cleaning as one thing.
0: Yes. So then that's. Yeah, so that's also a thing. So we have many people want to do data science or AI and want to uh, build models in Python. But uh, in reality, uh, I mean, you also have just been doing that uh, this week. The reality is that you spend 90% of the time with writing the SQL query that gets the right features uh, out of the database. And um, so there is a big disconnect between the uh, the reality of applying AI in a startup, and well the the nice world of uh, tutorials um, uh, uh, on on GitHub.
1: But actually, Martin, when looking at your CV, I think you have even a background in AI. Real isn't that right?
0: That's true, but I would say so. So I was um, I was interested in how the brain works and how language works. So um, at my time, AI was a, at least how I saw it was the study of intelligence. So it was artificial intelligence. So it was understanding how intelligence works and how it can be implemented in computers and robots. Um, but I would say this is very far, this was very far away, first of all, from applications. And this is also very far away from what I do now. So the, I think the only thing I could keep uh, was the, the well, software architecture and, and software engineering.
1: Okay, now you're helping startups to get more data-driven. So what about the nice buzzword, data lake?
0: Yes, so just uh, a few months ago, um, I talked to uh, the CEO of a medium-sized company somewhere in southern Germany. I sometimes have to do that because um, some of them invest in in Project A. Um, And he basically asked uh, kind of what kind of data lake technology should we uh, buy in order to to well to make our company data ready, and that was a really bizarre conversation. Um, so data lake is a very well. I think it's um it's a term that people think if we just do that, then we can avoid uh, doing the actual work of integrating and interpreting data. So if we just have all the data that happens somewhere in one place, then then we are done, and then the analysts can do stuff. Um, For me, data lake is just um, a place, a storage space, where you keep stuff, right? So if you have uh, large collections of of events, um, then of course you can put them in a database, but you should also keep uh, in a a database for querying and analyzing. But uh, of course you should also keep somewhere a backup of those um, events so that if the database goes down or you wanna put it in a different database that Uh, you still have them. So for me, basically a data lake is a big backup of stuff. But I think it's not what most people uh, 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 see it. Um,
1: But do you also face this that sometimes people really want to collect everything just like that they still have it when they might need it in the future?
0: Oh, yeah. So this is what I'm also thinking. So I, I try to tell all of our CTOs to basically lock everything. So to have each uh, every trace of um, of an interaction of the customer with the product, so to to have traces of that, independent of the current business questions, do you have uh, that you currently have with that data, so that later if you wanna if you have a new business questions can go back um, in, in these events and 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 analyze them. So this is I think uh, really valuable, and I think every company should do that. It's a question whether that's the data lake, but but maybe yes. But again, I think data lake is more the storage stuff. I think that's also easy. The difficult part is making sure that uh, everything is tracked correctly. And also that um, well that you are later able to connect the data. So if a customer opens an email, that you're able to connect that to the other activity of a customer. So that's that's the, rather the challenge. So the recording of data rather than the, the storing of it.
1: Okay. So I also have a nice question for you. What is the difference between deep and smart data?
0: Well, this I don't know. Uh, (laughs) So uh, if you go nowadays to data conferences, there's lots of talk about smart smart data, big data, deep data. I I don't have any opinion. And dark data. And dark data. Yeah, I I don't know.
1: So the hidden data that might be precious in the future?
0: Yeah. (laughs) Well, there's a whole industry of consultants running around um, in in scaring people that they should do, that they should do something like smart data or whatever. Um, Yeah, but I don't know.
1: So this is not what we are doing at Project A. No. Um, What about real-time processing?
0: Real-time processing, yes. So whenever we talk to new startups, new founders that we work with, this usually comes up that somebody says, yeah, we want to count the revenue or the number of transactions in real time. And um, and then we often ask, okay, but why do you want it in real time? So uh, how do you want to react within a minute or in a second um, on a change in, uh, in some metric? And then uh, very typically nobody knows. So it's very rare that there are actual real-time use cases in startups where there is the need to react to something uh, in real time. We have one company, CrossEngage, that do kind of, let's say CRM orchestration, and they try to, to react to what customers do on a website. So what kind of products people look at, what kind of categories, how they interact. And if you want to react in real time to what a customer is doing, then of course you have to build a custom application for that so you can react to to uh, to behavior in real time but usually there are no use cases for uh, doing real time analytics mm. uh, because nobody if, if you typically get typically it's it's totally fine to have uh, the main metrics of a company every hour and uh, and well and so often when somebody says can we have this in real time then i usually asked, how would you react uh, <laughs> if somebody if you have this information now uh, because Typically, you look at the stuff at the next morning or at the end of the month, and you you don't you, do, you don't collect you don't do this whole data integration part to 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 react to events. You rather later want to analyze uh, what went good and wrong in your uh, different processes of the company, and so but the day you don't have a real time use case.
1: So, and what about NoSQL?
0: Yes, the good old MongoDB. So. Um, well, um, so I think this is also, luckily it's almost over. So I think five years ago, um, everybody um, needed to be on a NoSQL databases. Uh, nowadays, I think it's only the front end JavaScript people who are still doing that. Uh, so uh, so they would still run MongoDB uh, happily. Um, I'm often involved also in technical due diligences with uh, with well, with teams that try to get funded by Project A, uh, and there, if I see a MongoDB in their tech stack, it's usually a big minus. So I consider it just unprofessional to trust the data of a company uh, with with databases like these. Um, so if, if you if you have any kind of B two B or B two C business where uh, where the whole well where, where the actual business depends on the proper storing and processing of data, we would always recommend to use well proper modeling of the data, so to have actual tables that with with constraints on them, uh, where, where there are checks in place for the consistency of the data, and where also guarantees that you don't lose data, which uh, which is apparently quite hard for um, the uh, for, for some of these NoSQL databases, and. Of course, there's also place for, for NoSQL databases. For example, if you want to need to store petabytes of um, a game analytics data or um, uh, other event things that happen uh, somewhere, then of course, you go for one of these big distributed key value stores. But I would not use them for analytics. And I would also not use them for well transactional processing.
1: OK. So now that we know what should probably not be the first technology to use when you're a startup. What would you recommend? I mean, you already said Postgres. Yes. yes. But how do we do it?
0: Well, so uh, so I recommend usually uh, robust and simple stuff. So we um, uh, so this is also I always have to explain this to 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 uh, um, uh, well to employees that want to start a project A, that we are technologically very conservative. So we don't run always latest technology. We usually run stuff that is battle tested, that works well, that is robust uh, and that is easy to explain and, uh, and, and to run in production. And as I said already on the database size for this, this is Postgres for us. It's, it's, it's really a fantastic piece of technology. And well, and it's BigQuery and Redshift for, 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 for large um, amounts of data. I also said already for uh, well running transformations, for, 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 do, for applying business logic uh, in ETL pipelines, there would be SQL scripts that run directly in a database, with the occasional exception of a Python script for stuff that cannot be run or that cannot be expressed in SQL. And well, for orchestrating, so for deciding what to run in which order, and maybe also to run some of these scripts in parallel. Uh, we use something that's called Mara. That's basically the the, the best practices that we gathered in the last uh, years for, for, for building data warehouses. Yep. Yeah.
1: So can you give us a little bit more information on this Mara thing? I mean, we recently out open sourced it and it's available on GitHub. And so what is it?
0: Yeah, so Mara is basically um, a framework for uh, well, not a framework. It's a it's a it's a bit of code. It's a, it's a few libraries for for building a data warehouse. The main part is uh, an ETL framework. So something where you can express dependencies between tasks, very much like what you can do in Make files or in an Airflow. Um, we uh, intentionally uh, decided not to use airflow because we think it's uh, too complex for the use case that, that uh, our startups have uh, so we, we basically don't have the the huge uh, um, clusters of worker nodes that process um, that that go through huge hadoop clusters we usually have a single database where we want to run scripts in so which is which is very different from the use case that airflow has And so that's why I decided we to to kind of to to run our own, uh, that that works best for us. And so we also advertise it as kind of uh, the middle ground between plain scripts uh, and Airflow. Well, and we recently open-sourced that um, because we we were doing this in a kind of open-source way already with our portfolio companies, but we had a problem that uh, with ownership, especially after an exit. So when we sell a portfolio companies, uh, when we sell a company, then basically they would lose access to this this uh, internal process of developing that infrastructure and uh, that was not very good. So we wanted to have something that also if a company is sold, um, but people can still uh, con- uh, continue using that and also uh, basically also would contribute. So, so before, when it was internal, it was very much perceived as the well, as our the thing of project A, and now we try to decouple a bit from project A so that more people can contribute and, and take ownership of the thing.
1: So that means um, Mara is something that the portfolio companies and everyone else can get for free.
0: Yes, so they're getting it for free. Um, so which we did to make the collaboration with our portfolio companies uh, easier.
1: And how did you come up with this name? What does it stand for? Is it is it an abbreviation, or what does Mara mean?
0: Yes, so uh, I'm a person that that well puts a lot of effort in naming things, and then the name Mara came out of uh, I think three sessions with lots of people, and uh, it was a kind of kind of a brainstorming process of finding good names. In the end, I think it's it's so the. Um, It uh, it means something in Swahili, but I forgot what. Uh, But later we found out that it's also um, the name of a giant genie pig that lives in South America. And well, then we kind of liked it and this also became our logo.
1: I mean, that's a that's a thing, right? I mean, Hadoop and the elephant, Postgres, elephants, um, animals. That's yes. <laughs> quite so, a common theme, I guess.
0: Yeah, data, data processing um, machineries need to have a mammal uh, as a logo. And we have now this dinner
1: <laughs> OK, Martin, thanks for giving us all the insights on what technologies to use and what not to. And thank thanks you for, for coming here. Me. So and thank you for listening. And I hope you liked it and will subscribe to our podcast.